A man without ethics is a wild beast loosed upon this world. Welcome to Wild Beasts, a podcast about ethics. Why did Fox News fire Tucker Carlson? And why did CNN fire Don Lemon? Do broadcast news networks follow any code of ethics? Today's episode features a conversation with Sue Vincent, Director of Journalism and Media Ethics at the Markle Center. I'm Courtney Davis, and thanks for tuning in. A couple weeks ago, Tucker Carlson was fired from Fox News, and there was a lot of speculation about what got Tucker Carlson fired, especially following that trial. And I think it was last week that the text message that was the final straw was leaked, and it had some pretty nasty rhetoric in it. And I'm just wondering if this surprised you, the fact that this text message was the final straw, was the tipping point in Tucker Carlson's career. So there's there's a lot of analysis being done about this man, Tucker Carlson, about who he is and why he does what he does, his whole journey from when he was in the mainline media on the other side, like he was with CNN and then finally Foxed. It doesn't surprise me that he texts this way to a colleague. What I draw from that is the fact that there is an environment in the studio of conversation between colleagues where one feels very comfortable sending this kind of text, which means one, there is an acceptability to communications like that. And two, there's also the acceptance that no matter what the actual reality was of the insurrection and what you could have been reporting and commenting on, you can still say what you want to say on the air, get away with it. And then internally in your conversations, you can be who you are. And you can also express a little bit of you know, vulnerability, a little bit of concern. Am I doing this? Am I doing that? And this is not new to Tucker Carlson. He's actually been open about the fact that he sometimes lies when pushed in, into a corner. It's in line with Tucker's personality, Courtney. It's just that it may seem extreme for people who always keep ask, asking, when is the line going to be drawn at any of this? We, we keep asking this. We kept asking this for Trump. It never, there was never a line. The man has impunity. So I think overall, there is this atmosphere of, I mean, quote unquote, I would even say immunity that people have to their behavior if they're celebrities, especially celebrities in the media space. What I'm hearing from you is that there is a culture of acceptance at Fox that would have enabled Tucker Carlson to feel comfortable to send a message like that to his producer, even if he felt like it wouldn't have been publicized. However, from a lot of perspectives, people aren't surprised that Tucker Carlson said this because it's in line with a lot of the things that he had already said on his show. And so if this brand of rhetoric was regularly espoused on Tucker Carlson tonight, why did Fox fire him at this time? So that really is a business journey that Fox has with all of their anchors on when, how long they want to like milk the cow because there's there's actual money to be made. They have made substantial amounts of money on their shows and their earnings statements don't look unhealthy at all. In fact, when I last looked at it, they they had much more than the amount that they were going to pay Dominion, even if the 1.6 billion actually was settled at that value. They finally settled at 787. So Tucker Carlson has been a healthy asset, let's say, generating revenue in ads and shows and so on for them. So for the question of why fire Tucker Carlson now and not earlier and so on, I think that's 
that's exactly how they take the call even with the dominion settlement they waited till the time they absolutely had to settle because if they had settled any time sooner it could have gone the other way and dominion might have said give us 1 billion or we'll walk so they waited till the point where you absolutely had to start the trial when all the uncertainties of, of the trial were the only thing left for dominion to consider the same thing applies to fox here how far downstream could they go with tucker carlson to make money and then finally they're like okay this is now a real liability because this message could leak so what are we going to do i think there was more than just this message it seems like this is the kind of message that riles up people with liberal sensibilities liberal democrats even conservatives who are anti racist and so on but i'm not prepared to believe that this was the only thing that helped fox come to the actual decision it it's usually a lineup of things that they go to but in but given my vantage point in applied ethics and media ethics as especially it's hard to comment on a business decision that they take because they would not take this decision if they were not compelled to right you don't see the text message as being the tipping point it was sort of a confluence of factors a lot more was happening behind the scenes at fox news that led them to let tucker carlson go when they did so was it another journalistic ploy for other news media organizations to frame the leaking of that text message as being the tipping point because that was definitely the angle that a lot of news media organizations took why did they take that angle well they take that angle because one this is an internal text message so the person is actually being himself it was not always super clear whether there are two tucker carlsons whether he's doing that as a performance or he's really that so there are aspects to him that that show up that are not on the show that when he's not on performance so i think this kind of text message is more raw it's more like me myself as the human talking to my producer and i'm just being myself so that is a is a way for newsrooms to go to town to say hey the lightning rod hey the smoking gun hey we told you we've been telling you all along we've been because when the new york times ran that expose on tucker's shows and said there's a race line that runs through all his shows last year you know they were criticized that they're doing all of this and so on now they'll say look we told you so i'm not surprised the news media is saying this but i think that's different from the business decision fox takes on when they let go of somebody If Fox cared about race, they could have let go of Tucker Carlson long ago. But if you see how they let go of, I mean, Bill O'Reilly and so on, it was always at a point where they absolutely had to let go. And the point that they absolutely had to let Tucker Carlson go in this case had a lot to do with the defamation trial, right? Dominion Voting Systems accused Fox News of knowingly broadcasting falsehoods about their voting machines following the 2020 election. And defamation, as you know, is actually very hard to prove in court. So why was this case different? Why did it end the way that it did, not only with the settlement, but with the release of Tucker Carlson? Yeah, so while defamation is hard to prove in American courts because of the actual malice I mean, standard that standard doesn't exist for example in the UK in India and so on so it's 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 understood that defamation is very hard to prove against american media entities in a us court yes and what But, what is the actual malice standard so the actual malice standard means you did not just say something false or defamatory that harms the reputation of somebody in your press in your art in your news stories 
you didn't just say that, but you did that knowingly and recklessly. So in other words, you knew as editors and reporters and columnists or whoever wrote that piece and the publisher that this claim is actually not just not true, but it will harm them. And to prove that you as a publisher or as a journalist knew that requires getting into your mind to actually say whether you knew or not. So that requires a set of evidence lineup. Dominion had actually put together actual evidence in their depositions and submitted that to court and that leaked out and that allowed the other media to review that list of things and see, does this really rise up to actual malice? And it looked like a really strong case. We haven't seen that in a while. Rupert Murdoch was actually on deposition where he did admit that they knew that um, these claims weren't true. And they were able to make the argument that nobody in the chain of command upstream of Tucker Carlson and other anchors actually stopped them from airing those programs. If you knew up in the chain of command and management that these claims were false and you still let your anchors go out and relay those claims, amplify them, then you are engaging in willful and reckless airing of those claims. So then you can make the case to a jury that this was actually actual malice. Yeah, so there was a lot of negotiating happening. And like you mentioned before, when talking about the timing of Tucker Carlson's firing, there, there's just a lot of chess playing happening, right? When to make the moves at the correct time so as to maximize the amount of money that Fox News is able to keep in their pockets. They could have paid Dominion a lot more money. That threat was there. And so they played their cards the way that they needed to. Yeah, and also they knew that if it goes to trial, then the anchors would have to come and give actual testimony in a court. So then Tucker Carlson and the other anchors would have to come to court. So that was a point that Dominion had as an advantage anyway, if it went to trial. But I'm not a legal expert and I can't speak for the law. I can speak for media ethics. And what I could tell is that Fox had already made a lot of money on all of these things. There's so much money they've made over the last 10, 20 years. Their financial statements show they're a very profitable entity. So, so for them to write a check for 787 million to one uh, company, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, it may seem like a big amount, but it isn't. The cost to democracy, I would feel, the cost to democracy, the cost to judgment, to the sense of public judgment that you can get out of an election, that whether you're liberal or conservative, whether you voted for this party or not, you broadly agree that so-and-so won the election. Well, Donald Trump won. He beat Hillary Clinton in the Electoral College. Yes, we don't like the Electoral College, but he won the Electoral College. Therefore, he became president. That's a public judgment. The media fosters that judgment by reporting on that. If the media doesn't report on that equivalently across left and right, then the public will not come to judgment. And in this case, Fox actually fostered that confusion. So there's already a higher cost we've all paid. And against that cost, 787, is like a write-off. Right. I think that's a very important point to make, that the cost to democracy and to the public good was far greater than the cost Fox had to incur in this trial. I do want to shift gears a little bit to talk about some other things happening in cable news. On the same day that Fox News fired Tucker Carlson, CNN's Don Lemon was also fired. Following accusations of misogyny and misbehavior, he made derogatory comments about women. 
He reportedly fat-shamed producers, said that men's sports teams were more interesting to watch than the women's. I'm wondering why you think that Don Lemon's firing hasn't received the same amount of attention as Tucker Carlson's. So this is where I feel there's actually commonality between the kind of comfort Tucker Carlson had to send that text to the producer, this sort of celebrity-based sense of immunity you have, that you can get away with what you're saying about your social views, about people across gender lines, across the trans line, across the race line. There are different types of fault lines, different types of social fault lines. Tucker Carlson was going across primarily what I would call the race fault line. And Don Lemon's case is basically going across the gender fault line. I don't have a, a simple answer to your question other than why the media hasn't gone to town so much about it, other than the fact that the mainstream media is in the sort of liberal media space and they did report on it. And once they find that they reported on it and she was fired, they feel like let's move on to something else because Don Lemon is not the hot rod they can easily beat on the race line. And gender is a known problem across all of the mainstream media, including left and right. So this is where the misogyny looks really appalling. They look at race as an easier way to generate audience because by going after Tucker Carlson, they get more audience, right? But by going after Don Lemon within the same space, it's news. They've reported it. Now let's move on. Are you saying that the gender fault line if that was the the line that Don Lemon was fired on, would attract less viewers than somebody violating the race fault line, or as, as you said, Tucker Carlson being fired across the race fault line? I think there is a sense amongst the media elite. There's a long-running abuse of power that's that's happened between male hosts and women, and that basically came to a crescendo in the Me Too movement, in, in, at, at, the, at, at the peak of Me Too, which still happens now. So now women are speaking up much more than earlier. But there's a sense of, of the fact that that problem is not just the left's problem or not only the right problem. That's actually common to American culture. And the media elite know that, and they seem to somehow factor that into, into newsworthiness and business claims and the actual ratings that you can get. At least the sense I draw from it is beating up on Tucker Carlson. There's actually a ratings advantage in going across the race line. But if you report on an anchor being fired over misogynistic remarks, then that's a story, but that's an individual story. Right, and I think that just as you're saying this, there's another interesting case study of another cable TV host that was let go by MSNBC last November, Tiffany Cross, who was the host of the weekend show The Cross Connection, and this was a left-leaning show, but she was fired by MSNBC after she made some controversial comments that, in your terms, would have fallen on the race fault line. And MSNBC firing Tiffany Cross received a lot of pushback just from the public and especially liberal commentators for silencing a powerful female voice um, at this time where the prominent voices in cable news were voices like Tucker Carlson. So to have this other host on this other show on the opposite end of the political spectrum, who at, at the same time, her show 
was attracting significant ratings. It continued to garner more support, more money for the network, yet they still let her go. They let her go, one, right before the midterm elections, and two, right after Tucker Carlson accused Tiffany Cross of inciting a race war against white people. So what do you make of this timing? When, like you said, the kinds of comments that she was making were very newsworthy. It was this inner section of issues that she was complicating. And she, like I said, was this powerful black female voice in cable news at the time. Here's the problem we have in, in this space. When a decision actually happens, yes, there's a lot of reporting on it, like MSNBC firing Tiffany Cross. But there isn't a clear standard where the networks are asked to justify to some public body like an accountability council or a media ethics council on what grounds do you use to fire Tiffany Cross that were the same grounds that other networks can use to basically, you know, get rid of anchors who cross some line. There isn't, first of all, a set of common standards on anchors and show hosts when they cross lines, everybody is doing a call discretionally to the point where they say they're going to hold. And that's where a lot of subjectiveness will just come in anyway. My sense is that there was a business call as well here to make because she seems like she was a pretty successful show host. She had a good show ongoing. So, you know, they're saying she previously came under fire for saying progressive should pick up a weapon and get involved and so on. All of these things other hosts are saying on the right. It's not like uh, it's not being said on the right. And it's not like every time somebody says something, they're being asked to leave. It does look like an asymmetry. But here's the point. Instead of comparing, trying to find apples to apples across a spectrum where there are no agreed upon common standards on what lines anchors can cross when they... Uh, aggressively spout out opinion, it's easier to ask what are MSNBC's policies on this matter that they will apply to all hosts themselves and why will they say their policies are actually pro-democratic and suitable to democracy even though it places them on a losing wicket with maybe Fox. Unless that process of discourse happened where these companies justified based on policies and not just for one host but across all of their hosts, it isn't clear how much of a decision this was that she was an easy target. She's a woman of color. She has a successive uh, show, but she said a bunch of things, and they want to actually show that they are better than other networks, and they decided to jettison her completely. I can't tell from the reporting on how these decisions are made, because for us in ethics, we tend to look at the long arc. We're like, what decisions have you made earlier? Is this actually consistent? And so on. So I don't know the answer to that question. But yes, does it surprise me that she was let go of so fast? It did. Yeah. And so I want to return to one point that you made about there not being a code of ethics at these networks. There's no transparency when they let go of a news anchor. A lot of times this happens abruptly without public statements from the networks or really from the host. Sometimes, like in the case of Don Lemon, he expressed dissatisfaction with the way the process was handled. Like he wasn't even told in person by the network that he was going to be fired. There is no transparency about these decisions, and there is no justification given. Why do you think that is, and do you think there ought to be? 
So that's a really good question because one, I don't think there isn't a code of ethics. I think there are codes of ethics in major news organizations, MSNBC included, but they restrict the scope and realm of the code of ethics to journalistic work about storytelling. How did you do your sourcing? Are you separating reporting from opinion? Do you have any conflicts of interest? Did you did that company fly you to the, the actual conference? That means they made a financial contribution. And so you have to disclose that and so on and so forth. These are sort of material considerations in both the run-up and the production of an actual story. Now, the kind of ethics involved in the letting go of a show host after comments she or he made, those quotes don't exist as far as I know. And it would be good for major media corporations to include that. But here's the problem. A, there's a contract between companies and hosts and those contracts have terms that, that are internal to them that they will use to justify the firing, but they can't bring those terms out into the world saying these are this is what we're doing because then there could be litigation on the fact that they broke you know confidentiality of those terms completely separately they would wait for the host to litigate against the employer in a court of law anyway if there was the kind of justification the host feels i shouldn't have been let go of i'm going to sue you and if that happens they have to go into deposition and all of that so they know that there may be a proceeding up front. So everybody here operates in a sense of what's the PR we have to do around the firing? What are the statements we have to make formally as a company? The minimum amount of statements and what explanations will the other media run with? Because we're media too, and they're going to report on this. So there's a calculated cynical attempt at what I would call controlling narrative. So it becomes a liability for the network, if they were to have a transparent code of ethics that calculated and delivered a coherent justification every time they let go a show host, because that show host could turn around and say, hey, along these lines, I should not have been fired. I'm going to take you to court so that you either have to pay me, rehire me, incur some cost or whatever. It becomes a liability. And so they don't make those decisions transparent. Yes, because it is literally employer-employee contract related. They'll at least make it look like that. But the problem I have in the media space, and this is where, I mean, media ethics is, is actually important. This really comes to the intersection of what I would call media and business, because it's one thing for a non-journalism company, like let's say a software company or a brick and mortar company, let's say Ben and Jerry ice creams, let's say a top management decision was taken at an ice cream company to let go of one of their SVPs. There, there is a, there's some internal investigation and they said, we're going to let you go, Bob, and Bob's been fired. Now, there could be a contract and they could be sued, countersued and so on. The problem in journalism is you have a public trust responsibility. You're holding discourse. You're letting discourse run. Your anchors are literally the central points through which discourse is running. So they are saying things and doing things and inviting guests into their panels and they're reporting things out and so on. So the actual firing of a host, if it's cloaked only in a business relationship that I'm firing you, you're my employee, you cross these lines, but I can't disclose what lines you cross because that's part of the contract and so I'm firing you. If it's done in that way, that's what I would call the 
industries cop out. What would be good to have, given this is media, given they say they support democracy, given they say they speak for the truth, given they say they want to be, they, they're actually accountable and they take reader comments about things and they respond to it. Given all of these things they say, there is room to have a fuller code of ethics on anchor behavior. But if there was that kind of code of ethics, it would make the ethical show host's position stronger and not have to fight a rat race on the air with other show hosts that are taking the ratings to the line. You know, that kind of compulsive behavior that's now happening. Oh, they said this, so we said this, so all of that. So there's so there's room. There's room to have newer codes of ethics, but they all have to sit down together. The way you framed it is very apt. The behavior we see from cable TV show hosts like Tucker Carlson, Don Lemon, or even Tiffany Cross, is more of this compulsive rat race-esque behavior. He said this, she said that, so we have to respond with this. And we'd like to think as viewers that they operate on some code of ethics as show hosts. They have journalistic integrity, as you said. Do you think that across the three examples we've talked about today, Tucker Carlson, Don Lemon, Tiffany Cross we can see some common code of ethics that they're all sharing? Or have we strayed so far from any code of ethics that it really is just a rat race that's more or less moderated by the networks that they work for? So I don't think, I don't think there's a common code of ethics on the way show hosts and anchors communicate to the public both about the stories they're reporting and how they characterize culture and leaders across the across the fault lines included. I don't think there is. What there is, is business imperatives, ratings and incentives, and also looking at audience and engagement and saying, oh, the show's doing really great. You got lots of viewers, so this is great. All of those things, which are not really bad things in themselves. You want You want companies incentivized to help their leaders do well. I think that is there. If you see Tiffany Cross's comment itself, the one that got her into trouble, that is an example. That's not journalism per se. She was characterizing. She was using a metaphor to actually characterize the whole state. Now, obviously, other people are going to take issue with that, and so there could have been a back and forth. Now, if if there were codes on lines you were not going to cross in your language, there are ways to call you into question in your show and ask you to apologize for it, or ask you to say, "Well, did you?" Was this a casual off-the-cuff remark? Do you want to apologize? Would you restate it? Where we need a code of ethics is to give people a chance to clarify what they mean and ask. And, and if they were found out, what does the code of ethics say? Does it say fire the person? Okay, then fire the person. But did you have that? It's not clear. So right now it looks discretionary. It looks like it's a business call. Anytime I see discretionary firing where a given decision was taken for a given person, then it looks like there would have been other calculations upstream of can we let her go now? If so, who do we replace her with? How are we going to run that show? And all of those overall calculations would have gone into it and it would have nothing to do with a code of ethics existing or not. So that's that's where it is now. If it is the case that there is no common code of ethics among these TV show hosts, at least not one that's transparent or consistent, we as viewers are faced with a decision. Who do we watch? Which shows do we attribute value? Are, are there some ethical principles that we as viewers can deploy when making decisions about which shows to watch? So from 
the viewer's point of I mean, point of view. That's a really good question because it gets to the sense of whether as consumers of news, because that's how the media companies prefer to look at people, that they're consuming news, they're experiencing it, they're consuming entertainment and just the raciness of breaking news that's always putting out something that's about fear or anxiety or anger. What real agency do viewers and citizens have? I think it's very diffused and dispersed at this point. There is agency. It's not that there isn't because you can go to Twitter and you can see people. Social media is the reactive mechanism that becomes a platform for agency when people want to criticize Tucker Carlson and call him all sorts of names and people want to criticize, let's say, in this case, Tiffany Cross. What's not clear is what are you synthesizing from it as a major network? What is your community engagement? You know, they've got these people who are actually audience editors, if you will, who who watch what the public are saying. Did you publish a synthesis of what the support versus criticism was when you let go of an anchor? Did you bring in the democratic agency of the people on speech? Because some people might say Tiffany Cross had, you know, free speech rights to express what she did, you know, creative or otherwise. And others will say, yes, she had it, but this is a commercial network. It's not the government. And, you know, there are lines of I mean, decency that she shouldn't have crossed. I don't see any responsibility being exercised by these companies to take the next step, saying we took a decision. There was a lot of criticism and, and support. Here's the broad synthesis of that. And they actually quote people. They ask people to come on the air and say, well, we've taken 100 views today from across the country, from rural Alabama to New York, upstate Manhattan. And this is what people in America have to say. That sense never comes out for me when I look at the mainstream networks. They still operate top down. Yeah. So there's a reciprocity that's missing there. Yeah, reciprocity is the word. I'm glad you used it because I don't think reciprocity is um, a virtue or an ethic that legacy media culture and mass media culture, especially at the level of celebrity anchors and management, uh, I have not seen it practiced as much. I don't see it being called out as an important thing to use in decision making. And if uh, the way community news organizations do it on the ground, where they where they're shifting the way news newsworthiness is now determined and stories are now told where there is a consensus in journalism ethics now where you don't go and report about communities without them. You don't characterize, I mean, communities and people with your language as a reporter without asking them how do they characterize themselves. Uh, That is reciprocity at work too, but all of that is still emerging at the grassroots in US journalism. I don't see that having happened at the big networks level at least yet. You've been listening to Wild Beasts, a podcast from the Markla Center for Applied Ethics at Santa Clara University. Thanks for tuning in, and check out our website for more episodes about ethics.